So this morning we had our gospel resurrection reading from Matthew's gospel that Alex read for us. In it, since this familiar story that might even still be a little strange for us as we read it or hear it this morning. Because at the heart of this gospel story is this moment where at the very nexus of life and death, the messenger of the Lord speaks into the fear and terror and says, do not be afraid. Maybe that's the word that you need to hear this morning. Do not be afraid. The messenger says, I know you're expecting the worst. I know that you're expecting the usual. I know you're expecting the obvious outcome. After all, they were in a graveyard. You, you wouldn't be faulted for being one of those early visitors and expecting to see death, despair, defeat, expecting only to see the products of sin and suffering and sorrow. After all, all your hope has been destroyed. All your political hope, all your spiritual hope, all your social hope, whatever you had heaped onto Jesus and all different people kind of um, put whatever different kinds of hope they had on him and many of them were disappointed because their hopes didn't match up with the hope that he provided. Whatever your hope had been on Jesus had been destroyed, permanently socially distanced, not only outside of the city gates, but beyond all respectability and even to the very bowels of creation, to the place that the Psalms call Sheol, the grave, to hell itself. But this messenger, this angel says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid because he's not there. Jesus is not where you'd expect him to be on a morning like this morning. He hasn't stayed put. He hasn't been able to be domesticated or terminated. He's been raised. His broken body has become a spoke in the wheel of this inevitable machine of sin and death. The Apostle Paul takes this pretty seriously. Uh, Calvin's reading, in Calvin's reading, he says, well, this is pretty important because if it's not true, well, we're idiots. Those of us who believe in this resurrected king of this strange kingdom. If, if it's not true, there's no hope for us or for anyone. All of this pain, all of this sacrificing has been for naught. I wonder if some of these types of thoughts have been happening kind of on a micro level for us during this season of faith and hope and quarantine, that we're doing all of these things. We have faith in the things that we're doing, that they're going to count for something, that we have this hope in things unseen, that this global pandemic will end sooner than later, but everything is spaced out a couple weeks in advance. So we don't really know how much what we're doing is even matter. 
we've been tested these days, and I'm sure that you've had some small personal revelations over the last several weeks. You've, you've gotten to see, I know I've gotten to see the places where I am optimistic to a fault. I think I control things and I'm finding out I don't control as much as I thought I controlled. Or maybe I'm pessimistic to a fault where I think things are, are bad and they can never get better. I'm too stuck in the moment. My imagination is too limited. But I think in a time like this, on a day like this, the phrase from Leslie Newbegin comes to mind when he says, I'm neither an optimist nor a pessimist. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. Neither an optimist nor a pessimist. Jesus is risen. What if this is true? Like true each time of the year when we come and we dress up and we celebrate it. And depending on how much you feel like it's true, maybe it's true that much. But what if it's true even more? What if it's true for the whole world? What if it's true about everyone and for everything? What if Jesus being raised by the same spirit that we're given is the most true thing all the time and forever? Would that change your outlook? Would that increase your ability to see and hope here? I think in some ways, like I would never think up or trade the ability to be with y'all for what we're doing right now over technology. But I think in some ways it's beautiful and it is poetic to be celebrating Jesus's resurrection in our homes. Because that's exactly where we'll continue to practice resurrection for the rest of the year and the rest of our lives. This, this place, this normal place, this place that by now we're probably sick of, is where we will practice and live into the resurrection. It's in this season, it's in our homes and around those who we've battened down with that we need to see new life. We need to know that it's there. We need to know that it's available. And we also need to see the forces of hope operating. We need to see the systems of fear and sin and death being beaten. I say this, again, not as an optimist nor a pessimist. I don't say this, that fear and death and anxiety and depression aren't real and aren't here. So many of us know those things too well. But what if this season of resurrection just helps us hold the door ajar. So when we wake up to face the routine that we've grown weary of, the family that we're drained by, the work that has been interrupted, the financial strain that we're under, or the tense relationships that we're stuck in, there is a new word for us. And that word comes from the angel, but it also comes from Jesus himself when he says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Jesus isn't dead. He's not here. He's not there. He's not where you'd expect him to be. He's not among the rubble. He's alive. That graveyard has become a garden bed. We read from Matthew, but John's gospel is even more explicit. Mary mistakes the risen Jesus for the gardener. That spot where death runs the show is now a place for life. That's what these gospels are giving us an imagination for. That mode of just survival, 
of hanging on with white knuckles and hoping no one notices that you're falling asleep at the wheel and you jerk awake every once in a while when you hit the rumble strips, that place of survival becomes the place of revival where the spirit is also bringing us back to life. That place of fear, that place of vulnerability, that place of scarcity, of selfishness can also become the place of courage and resilience and fecundity and humility, all of these things, this, this abundance. Maybe you need to hear this one, that place of isolation and loneliness can become the place of community. But I'm, I'm tempted when I hear this good news, I'm tempted to, to always be looking out the window for a big change of scenery. I wanna know that this is happening I want to know that I'm making progress. I'm still hoping for some jump cut to somewhere beautiful where I can be everything I think I need to be. But this this good news of the resurrection of Jesus can help us stop these blind calculations of the optimist or the dejections of the pessimist and help us live into the grace and possibility of Christ's resurrection life here like right here. Um, many of you know, and we've, we've heard it so many times, the text of Isaiah 61. It's, it's Oak Church's foundational imagination text. Um, the, I see the Pendricks on this call. They were in the room uh, with a few people and we got energized by these words of not just the spirit of the Lord anointing Jesus the Messiah to do these good things, but also uh, creating space for transformation, for metamorphosis. And I wonder, I wonder in this resurrection mode, if these words from Isaiah 61 don't mean uh, like beautiful promises for leaving transformations, but rather there are beautiful promises for staying transfigurations. And here's what I mean by that. All those things, ashes to beauty, mourning to despair, uh, mourning to joy, despair to praise, desolate ruins to flourishing neighborhoods, shame to a double portion, robbery to justice. All these things um, don't happen by wiping the slate clean and starting over or by moving somewhere else. They happen exactly in the middle of that pain. Right in the middle of the ashes comes the beauty and the ashes are still somehow remembered or present and given dignity to. Right in the middle of mourning, there is joy and there might still be tear tracks on our face from that mourning. Praise comes out of despair, but it doesn't erase it. The desolate ruins to flourishing neighborhoods, we don't clear cut, we renew. Shame to double portion. The memory of our shame makes that double portion all the more valuable. What if because Jesus' broken body from Good Friday is made new and everlasting by continuing to bear the scars on his hands and feet inside on Easter Sunday, that we too can be renewed exactly where we are? Exactly right here. I want to close with some, some art that I just can't get out of my mind. I, I came across this a few months ago and I can't stop thinking about it. And I wish 
so badly that I could see it in person. It's this British artist named Jason DeCares Taylor, and he creates these underwater museums. And what I think is beautiful and, and what connects this art to the resurrection is how um, insane it is for him to make these beautiful, like pH balanced concrete sculptures and to sink them to the bottom of the ocean. He does this over and over. He has these whole underwater museums. And part of this is founded from his, um, his desire to bring awareness and flourishing back to our, our, uh, our hurting um, oceans and diminishing reefs and, and underwater life. And so uh, this artist, Jason, is creating all of these sculptures some of mundane, normal things of not even all that pretty uh, moments in our mundane everyday life. And he's sinking them to the bottom of the ocean. But what's beautiful is his imagination is leaving hope and possibility that these are not just gonna turn into more trash at the bottom of our ocean, but they're actually gonna come alive at the bottom of the ocean. The, the, the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean is, it, in some ways, is so, um, so deadly for, for humanity to try to get down, but also so teeming with life. And, and he recognized this possibility. And so these concrete statues, which are beautiful in and of themselves, become all the more beautiful when they're put at the bottom of this ocean. And they also become uh, extensions and new... Uh, places for for uh, habitat to thrive and for a flourishing reef to develop. Uh, I love this imagination. I think this imagination is available to us because Jesus's human body, like ours in every way, was acted upon by the surprising force of the same spirit that we share and Romans makes that clear. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is in us, is given to us as a gift. And so now the rules of the game are changed and our expectations need recalibrating. Because Jesus was raised from the dead, all of these dramatic shifts aren't just like off the wall hopes. They're not bleak outlier long shot possibilities they can become our new expectations. We can have an imagination for the way new life is gonna come about in the midst of death and destruction. Death was not the end. It is now not the end. It is instead the compost out of which new creation grows. The, the very sight of aloneness in despair also becomes the warrant for a new sociality like an ever-expanding spirit-led extroversion. I don't mean that we're all going to become extroverts. Sometimes introverts are the best evangelists, but the, the idea um, and the, the command there is to go and tell the disciples about what you've seen, that Jesus is not there. Go and tell about this beautiful message of good news that you don't even necessarily really have to have your own grip on but you just know somewhere in your bones that it is the most real reality, it's the most true truth, it's the most alive life. So go and tell about it. I asked uh, Rach yesterday on a walk, what is, 
what is the good news of Easter for us today? And she says, well, isn't it always the same? And it is and it isn't. Uh, I think there's a special word for us in quarantine, but when it comes down to it, the Easter good news is simple and it is what it always has been and will be. Jesus is risen. Do not be afraid. Go, or in times like these times, stay and be a witness. Jesus is risen. Do not be afraid. Go and be a witness. Amen.